Hebrews chapter 9. Easter Sunday is coming up, depending on which calendar you observe. Um, is uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks. And of course, uh, we make no apology. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I don't know that we've ever had a service and not mentioned the resurrection of the Lord in one way or another uh, because it is the central theme of the Scriptures is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, we call that the gospel. The Bible calls that the gospel. Uh, I'm sorry to disagree, but uh, Aretha Franklin is not the gospel, all right? The gospel is the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. The word gospel means good news. And I don't know of any truly good news outside the redeeming work of Jesus Christ for lost mankind. Amen? No matter how good the news is beyond that, it's always got a caveat. It's always got a hook in it. There's always something. If the economy is good, guess what? It's going down. It's going to. It's not going to stay there forever. Isn't that true? It doesn't matter how good the news is. It's going to change. Except Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His earthly ministry, we understand that the culmination of that ministry was on a hill called Calvary, where Jesus shed His blood to pay the price for our sins. But it didn't end at Calvary's cross. It ended at an empty tomb, amen, where Jesus came back from the death, from the dead, having conquered death, and hell. And of course, that was a foregone conclusion before God said, let there be light. Because God cannot be overcome because He is God. Amen. And we need to understand about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to do, Lord willing, over the next three weeks is look at different aspects of the person of Christ in His ministry. And the first one that I would like to look at, uh, I have here printed in the bulletin, Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus came to be a priest. I like that Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. It says He was the king and God, and sacrifice in that one verse of that song. And that kind of pictures just a little bit of Jesus Christ and the ministry that He had. He was not just a one event, a one situation person. He was involving all of history wrapped up in the life of one man. In fact, the word history should be best pronounced his story. Amen. I don't know who came up with that, but somebody did years ago because all of history met at an old rugged cross and at an empty tomb. Every event that goes on in history is connected to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, we just want to command, we want to follow the command that is in this verse. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And what I want us to do is to consider Jesus as the high priest today. 
if you uh, have noticed it all, there are the Mogan Davids in the windows and many Jewish symbols in this building because this building was originally built as a synagogue. And we're, we're thankful that God has put us here in this building in Astoria. And uh, if you ever want the history, we'll give it to you. We call it the Miracle on 35th Street, Santa Claus. That's 34th Street in Manhattan. But God did a series of miracles to put our church in this building. Some of you that were here for those can remember how terrifying the miraculous working of God can be. Uh, But God did do the work to put us here. Uh, It is certainly nothing that we could take credit for or hope to say, boy, we figured this thing out because, boy, had no idea what was going on. But I'm sure glad God did. Amen. And so we want to praise him for that. But the point I make out is we're, we're not afraid of Jewish symbolism because Jesus was a Jewish man. The entire Old Testament, if we did not have the Jewish scriptures as part of our Bible, we would be totally in the dark and we would lose so much comprehension of who Jesus is and the work that he did. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament code. Some people get all caught up in the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you, don't forget about the other 603. They're in there. God was just as serious about them as He was about the Ten. The Ten was the summary, the covenant. But all of God's law is holy and to be enforced. And you say, well, why aren't we taking uh, uh, all of those commandments seriously today? Well, let me tell you something we do. But we do because Jesus is our high priest. He paid the debt of the law. He fulfilled every one of those 613 commandments Never once did he at any time transgress one of them. Oh, yes, the Pharisees accused Jesus of many things. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath because he healed a man's hand that was paralyzed. And they, on that same Sabbath of accusing him of breaking the Sabbath for healing a man, went out and held counsel together on how they might destroy him. Let me ask you a question. Who broke the Sabbath? It wasn't Jesus. The Bible tells us to consider Him. On Sunday nights in the next few weeks, we're going to be beginning a series on the Old Testament tabernacle again. And we're just going to go through that. And the reason I like to to study the Old Testament tabernacle is simply because it illustrates in living color every major Bible doctrine. You cannot be a true New Testament Christian and not understand the ceremony and the, and the rites and the things that were carried out in the Old Testament tabernacle. It's absolutely impossible. That high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, would carry the blood of that bullock for himself into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The Bible says it's the day of atonement. The word atonement has the idea or the principle of rolling back. It is, in essence, giving you an extension The New Testament word is the word redemption. That is the purchase price paid. That is bringing back what was once yours. But because of situations is not. If you've ever had the unfortunate opportunity to have to deal with a pawnbroker, You take your item there that has value and you put it in safekeeping and he will give you the physical value of that, whatever he sets, a loan based upon the value of that item. And then 
When you get enough money to buy that thing back, what is it called? You get a redemption coupon, do you not? So that you can go and buy back what once was yours but now is not. We were once God's property. We were created in his image, but sin marred that. God did not sell us. We sold ourselves in the marketplace of sin. It was the work of Jesus Christ, our high priest, that bought us back from the slavery of sin so that we could serve in the freedom of God's love. This is what Easter is all about. It's about remembering the work that Jesus did. Now let's take our Bibles and go over to Hebrews chapter 9. And and I would really encourage you, if you've been with us for uh, one of our journeys through the Old Testament tabernacle, many of these things I hope and pray will come back to you. And and uh, uh, But we won't be able to fill in all of the details in, in our short time this morning. And, of course, that's short compared to what Paul was preaching in Troas. Uh, He went till midnight. We'll be done long before then. Amen? But uh, here in verse 8, it says, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, they could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washing and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, what we want to talk about first is the idea of a priest is one who stands between man and God. That's the simplest definition of the word priest. In fact, every person who has ever used that title, whether they were a godly priest or an ungodly priest, has all made that same claim that they are the ones, if you're going to approach to God, you've got to come through me. That's why, as a pastor... Uh, In the Baptist church, I do not use the word priest because I do not stand between you and God in the most classic and simplest understanding of the word priest. Jesus is the priest. And I don't want to uh, chase this one too far because it's going to take us in a direction that that is uh, uh, not necessarily part of this morning's message, we, we do act as priests as we take the message of God to the world in which we live. As we take God's life and, and His love and His message to those who do not have it, we do stand between the unsaved world and God to give them the message. But if you are going to be saved, You cannot use or borrow the agency of any human individual to gain grace or entrance with God. Many churches talk about very, have very reverend, uh, uh, figures and, and people in their church that they attribute special attributes to. And, uh, sometimes they even encourage you to pray to those ones because Uh, According to their tradition, they have some special standing with God. The, The simple truth is, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We do not elevate any human individual. 
I like what my mama taught me when I was a little boy. Different people were insulting. I said, Mama, they said mean things about me. And she said, you just tell them we're all made out of the same mud. I said, boy, that makes a lot of sense. And I added, you look a lot more like it than I do. Amen. That was not scriptural. But you know what? God did make us all out of one blood. There's no difference in the human race. Somebody said, how many races are there? I said, try one. How about the human race? Amen? Because we were all created in the image of God. That image was marred. It takes someone to stand between man and God. That's the difference between Adam and Eve as they lived in the garden and the passages they had sinned and hidden themselves. The Bible tells us that God, the voice of God, came walking in the cool of the evening like it was something that had happened every day since creation. I believe that it did. Because the God of this book called the Bible wants to have relationship and fellowship with mankind. And we've been over this many times. What kind of love would it be if God coerced that love out of us? If He programmed us to love Him? As Reformed theology teaches God has given us a free choice to choose to love Him. And by the way, that's the only kind of love worth having. Amen? Every priest in all of history has proclaimed that they have a way for you to come through them and get to God. We're not going to take time this morning to chase all of the perversities of, uh, of false priests and false promises and all of these things. But we just read in the book of Hebrews that the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of the Old Testament law, stood only in the physical acts that were created. They could not purge the conscience from the dead works of sin. How many of you have ever felt guilty about something? If you're alive? How many of you tried to do something to make you feel better about what you did wrong? And ended up feeling worse than better? You see, false religion offers a promise to take away your guilt. And you go and you do certain things in fulfillment of religious ritual. And when you're done, you still remember what you did. But when you take what you've done and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, then you have real payment. Because no one or anything ever suffered as Jesus did. To pay the price for our sins. You see, that's where I can find forgiveness and cleansing from the inside out. But every physical ritual in that Old Testament tabernacle, which was built by Moses and the children of Israel there at the foot of Mount Sinai, just as they had come out of the land of Egypt, every ritual pointed. To what Jesus Christ would do. There was a specific way and pattern to approach unto God. As God led them through the wilderness, He chose the tribe of Levite. He chose the physical descendants of Aaron to act as the priest. And the Levites, their cousins, were their helpers. And God said, instead of the firstborn of all the land of Israel, I've chosen this one tribe, and now I've chosen this one family to be my priest. Do you realize that the high priest 
which sat upon the throne and condemned Jesus to death was a direct descendant of Aaron. And he had the genealogical paperwork to prove it. Otherwise, he couldn't be there. Ananias and Caiaphas were direct descendants of Aaron who had lived 1,500 years before Jesus Christ was born. How many of you can trace your family genealogy back 1,500 years? How many of you want to? I am not among that number. You say, why not? I'm afraid what I'll find. But I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. But Jesus, no beginning, no ending. He was not a priest after the order of Aaron because if he were, then he would be relegated to the physical rituals which were in the temple at Jerusalem. Read the book of Hebrews. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Because his sacrifices were not physical sacrifices. Though he did physically sacrifice himself. His sacrifices went beyond the realm of human comprehension and human understanding and human activity. The veil that was in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was a symbol that God had put up there saying the direct approach to God was not yet plain. By the way, what sat right in front of that veil in the holy place? The golden altar of incense. The symbol of our prayers. When the veil was rent in two, guess what? The altar of incense didn't move. And by the way, that's all the farther you and I need to come today. You want communion with God? Learn how to pray. Or learn how to pray the Bible way. God will answer those prayers. Amen? Jesus Christ is our approach unto God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Amen? Do you believe that today? That's what Jesus said the night He was betrayed. That the only way that we could come to the Father was through Him. He is our High Priest. But what else did the priest do? Well, let's look at verse 14. Verse 12, I'm sorry. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the second part of the priest work. The priest was the entry. He was the passageway from where you are to God. The second part of the priest's work was he was the one that offered the sacrifices that were acceptable. He is the one that Without his hand upon your sacrifice, it was not acceptable to God. Many people offered sacrifices to God before the Old Testament tabernacle was put in place. But if you read in the laws of God, he said, anyone that offers a sacrifice to God and does not bring it to the priest, to have it consecrated by the altar that God has chosen That sacrifice is not acceptable and you will be cut off from Israel completely. 
You only got one chance at that thing. You offered one sacrifice that was not consecrated God's way through God's priest. And you were cut off from Israel, never allowed to offer a legal and proper and biblical sacrifice again as long as you lived. Does that sound like God was pretty serious about that priesthood thing? Let me tell you, he was. What happened to the king when he went in to the temple to offer incense on that golden altar? The Bible says the leprosy sprang out in his forehead as he stood in the holy place. That God smote him and he knew he was smitten of God and he, the king, lived in a leper colony outside the city of Jerusalem for the next 16 years until he died. A miserable, horrible, disgusting and despised death because he transgressed the priesthood. You see, only the priest can offer acceptable sacrifices to God. That's why the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's why you can't be good enough to please God by keeping the Ten Commandments. That's why you cannot approach unto God through any specific ritual ordained by man because there's only one priest that would consecrate the sacrifice that God would accept not to purge our physical bodies from its defilement. No, that's what the brazen laver was all about. That's what all of the tabernacle ceremony was all about. But God said, I want to purge your conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. There's only one sacrifice in all of history that God would allow. And there was only one priest that could offer and consecrate that sacrifice. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. One more point. We'll be done early today. 15. Verse 15. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying... This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, and almost all things by the law, I'm sorry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Skip down to verse 10 and chapter 12. I mean, chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. Three greatest words in all of history. It is finished. It is a sad day that nearly every religion in operation today blasphemes those three words. 
when Jesus was on the cross, just before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. In the Hebrew, it was just one word that he cried out. If it was finished, then why is most religion trying to do something to earn God's salvation? It's because they don't believe those words. You see, this last point of being a priest, if a priest is a true priest, he offers himself as the pathway from mere mortals to God. Let me explain that only Jesus, who is God, only Jesus, who is man, you say, how can he be both at the same time? I don't know. I'm not that smart. But I'll tell you, he is, because the Bible says so. You say, you're being a little childish about that. Well, there's a verse in the Bible, except you be converted and become as little children, except you become as little children and become converted shall no wise enter the kingdom of God. I'd rather be childish and in heaven than think I know everything on my way to hell. I gave up on my reasoning a long time ago because I found out it only goes so far. The farther it goes, the more trouble it makes. But if I'll trust in Jesus, he'll make sense out of what doesn't make sense to me. Amen? And so, the way to approach God, the one who consecrates the sacrifices that will be acceptable to God, and the third part that we just read about, he is the one who is the mediator or the reconciler between God and man. See, most religion you go to will say, well, listen... If you'll do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then maybe someday you'll be good enough to please God. How many of you ever heard somebody at church say something similar to that? Almost all religion, they, uh, now they argue all day long about the list of things to do. And, and we're not going to argue about the list because we don't believe in that list. And they promise you a hope so, or maybe a trip to purgatory and then a jump up to heaven sometime in the distant future, or the the one that just gets me is, well, you come back as a maggot or a cockroach and you get stepped on, and then you come back as a flea or a bug, and then you come back as a dog or a cat, and... If you're really good, you come back as a Brahmin or some great religious leader. And finally, you become part of the eternal nothingness. Let me tell you, I'm glad there's something in heaven. It's called God. You can worry about them streets of gold all you want. But let me tell you something, they're of little value. When you could actually look with your eyes and see God. But the priest is the one who makes things right between you and God. How many times these witch doctors, they go to the tribe and the history is full of their stories, of their machinations and their murders and all of the things that we need to appease the gods. And nothing happens. Well, you didn't do it good enough. You know, it's really easy for them to blame the people when it doesn't work out according to what they said. You know what? Any person that has ever come to Jesus Christ and accepted his forgiveness got it. And they got it forever. Even when this old mind gets to the point to where it won't remember things and it's not functioning properly, God's not going to forsake me because this old mind stops working. Because that's not why I'm saved. I'm saved because of His sacrifice. I'm saved because He's the one that took out the books of heaven and wrote paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ beside every sin entered in God's books. When the devil accuses me before God, 
He opens up the book and he says, you can't accuse him of that. The penalty's been paid. You see, the mediation has been done. We have a lot of talk about mediators today. You know, the mediator is the one who's to set things right. Uh, You can agree not to go to court. And uh, let, uh, what was that, Judge Hatchet or Ratchet or whatever, uh, straighten everything out. And Or Judge Judy, I guess she's real bad sick or something. I don't know. I, I don't follow that stuff. But they're not judges. They're mediators. It's not a court of law. If you agree to them, then they will tell you how things are going to be set right. Now, has anybody ever went to one of those things and not complained about the results? Only a few won. Uh, Do you think there's going to be anybody that's going to gainsay God's decisions on Judgment Day? You see, that's what the mediator took care of. When you stand before God as a saved or born-again individual through the sacrifice that Jesus consecrated, through His life that He lived and His death that He died and His resurrection that He resurrected by, God's going to look at that book and He's going to say, You can't accuse him of that sin. That sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't accuse him of that sin. In fact, there is no sin on his record. Because the priest made things right. He mediated the sentence. You know how Jesus mediated my sentence of my sin? He suffered in my place. He fulfilled the righteousness of God and God's judgment by taking upon Himself the judgment of all mankind. One preacher put it this way, is the best I've ever heard. Jesus Christ as the infinite God suffered infinitely in one day to fulfill the infinite wrath of God. If you refuse what Jesus infinitely did in that moment of time, as He suffered and died on that cross, it will take you an eternity in hell to try to accomplish what Christ already did on the cross. That's why He said it is finished. Now, you might have to think about that one a while to get it all. But you see, Jesus, as the priest, is the way that we approach unto God. Jesus, as the priest, is the consecrator of the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God would accept in payment for our sin. Jesus, as the priest, is the mediator. He is the one who set and forth. In fact, I read that portion there, and most of the time... Uh, Even when you read the commentaries and stuff, they like to skip over that testament thing about the Old Testament and the testament being in force until the testator dies and all of that. Let me put it real simple for you. God set out a testimony. It was the Word of God. It was His law. That law established the level of righteousness for which a person could enter heaven. There's only one problem. That law judged every man, woman, and child that ever lived. Guilty, because no one ever met that level of righteousness. How do you get out of an agreement like that? Death. Jesus died in my place. So that under the law, when God opens His book, the demands of death by punishment of the law were met. 
in the mediation of Jesus Christ. He mediated by suffering in my place. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a religion outside the Bible where the God of that religion loved you so much that He took the punishment for your sins for you? Even many religions which call themselves Christian don't believe that. That's why they have penance. That's things for you to do to pay for your sins. That's why they have all of these things called good works. Because there's things you must do in order to obtain God's permission or God's favor. Let me tell you, Jesus as the high priest mediated all of God's judgment. I serve Him not because I owe Him, but because I love Him. I serve Him because He set me free. Only that kind of service meets the work of this kind of priest. You get feeling obligated. I've got to show up to church. It's such a beautiful day. It's going to be warm and I'm going to miss the best part of the day. Hey, listen, I don't show up at church just because I'm the preacher. Somebody said, if you don't show up, you lose your paycheck, buddy. No, they actually give me a day off once in a while. But you know what I'll be doing on my day off in May? I'll be preaching in another church. Because that's where I want to be. I want to be with God's people. Because He saved me. He is my high priest. And yes, I have a responsibility to take this message to the world in which I live. But I'm so glad that anybody I meet, I can tell them, listen, I'll tell you how to get to the priest that is the way. I'll tell you how to get to the priest that consecrated the sacrifice. I'll tell you how to get to the priest that mediated the payment for your sin and God's judgment. But all I can do is point the way. You have to go to Him yourself. Because I'm not a priest in that sense of the word. After I'm saved, I have access to God. But that's so that I can serve God. Not so other people can serve God through me. Because that's not God's way. I serve God through Christ. He's the high priest. That's the reason he came. He died so that the judgment under the law and the testament that I had earned because of my sin could be paid for, could be closed out, could be satisfied so that the life which I now live, I can live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The question is very simple today. Is Jesus your high priest? Is he the only way you're getting to God? Is he the one that consecrated that sacrifice which paid for your personal sins? Have you trusted him as the only mediator between God and man? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Will you call upon his name today? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Would there be one here today that would just slip up a hand and say, Pastor, that message was for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. 
but I'm concerned about my soul. I would like to pray for you, and I'll do so in a way that will not draw attention to you in any way. We're not here to embarrass anyone or coerce anyone. If you're going to get saved, you've got to come to Jesus yourself. But as a preacher, I'd like the privilege of praying for you. Would there be even one here today that would just slip up a hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure about my salvation. I saw one hand go up. Anyone else? Yes, another. They put it down. Anyone else this morning? Preacher, pray for me. I'm concerned about my soul. Yes. That's three so far. Well, praise the Lord for each one. A raising a hand doesn't get you saved. You've got to come to the Savior and confess Him as your Lord and your Savior. You've got to ask Him. And He will save you. Because He's the priest. Who else here? And we'll just open this up to those that are saved. The pastor, I know Jesus is my Savior. He is my priest. But I've sure not been obeying them the way I should. The Lord's convicted me of some things in my life that got to change. And let's not just talk about be a better person. Let, let the Holy Spirit give you some specifics. What do you need to lay down? What do you need to see God fix in your heart and life? Who would say, preacher, that's me. And I, I want to just, I want you to pray for me. Yes, I see hands all over the auditorium. Yes, many, many raised. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and you saw those hands. And Lord, I believe they were raised to your presence as much as they were any, anything or anyone else. Lord, we ask for those that raised their hands saying, I'm concerned about my soul. Lord, we pray that today would be at least another step closer to the Savior. That weeding out process of putting aside our own misunderstandings and our own uh, deceivable heart and our own ideas and our own plans and our own wishes. Lord, my prayer is that that process could even be completed today. And that they would just simply trust in you. Ask you to save them. Lord, I can't ask for them. I'm so glad that you have designed salvation the way you have in your word. That all we must do is ask you to save us and you will. Lord, we pray for the many other hands that were raised. And Lord, we struggle in this life. We struggle against our own flesh. We struggle against the world in which we live. Lord, sometimes it seems we're just being pulled in so many different directions. We ask that you would help us to take this time and focus and to think and to consider as the command is given in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 where we started this morning to consider the apostle and high priest of our, call, of our profession. And Lord, that we would confess our sins and come back and be directed by our priest once again. Lord, we want our church to bring glory to your name. And that can only happen as we surrender to you. We ask you to do your work in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stay.